Well, today I've entitled the message, Not How I Expected. And uh, the reason why I've entitled that is because I don't know about you guys, but I've noticed in my life, God doesn't work often how I expect him to work. I mean, I look at the way God does stuff, and I, I have my plan laid out about how I want things to happen, and, and you know, I, I write it out, it looks really good, and I submit it to God. And uh, he never tends to do things the way I would have done or the way I would have expected them to be done. And I've seen this, i got dozens of examples I could tell you about in my life. And matter of fact, we could probably just stop right now, and we could all go around the room, and everybody would have at least one, if not dozens of examples, about how God did not work in your life, how you expected him to work. You know, one of the greatest examples of this I can think of is my wife. When her and I met, um, we weren't serving the Lord, um, but we were like many Christians today where we said we were Christians. You know, we believed in God, but the only way you could tell that we believe in God is because we said it. Because we're sure, like if you were watching our life from the outside, there was no evidence that we believed in God, that we were serving God in any way, shape, or form. But even then, my wife was asking for a Christian husband. She'd been praying to meet a Christian man, and uh, I came along. And she, 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 thought, she thought she had it made. She's like, finally, God sent me a Christian man. Not because I was actually living like a Christian, but because, you know, I said I believed in God. And, and, and things seemed to go okay uh, for quite a while. It worked out for both of us because we were both really essentially playing at being Christians. You know, and, and I would say we, it was just on Sunday mornings, but we weren't even going to church. We just, you know, we believed in God. But, but uh, that's the only way you could tell us by what we were saying. But then... She started wanting to get serious. She started wanting to go to church. And uh, she was going on Wednesdays and Sundays, and, and I just didn't want to go. I really didn't want to have anything to do with it. And eventually, though, I came along, really kicking and screaming, because I didn't want to get involved in this stuff. And she would want me to come to church with her, and I didn't want to go. And, you know, we'd get fights about that. And first time I, I, I met uh, Pastor Mike, who's my pastor, um, I was living with Michelle. We weren't married. And uh, the first thing he ever says to me, is, says, when are you going to marry that girl and make an honest woman of her? And uh, so finally, and that's the thing is, is I did believe in God. I did believe in this stuff, but just never with enough conviction to live it out. But I felt guilty about that. So we got married. And, but then somewhere along the line, after actually a couple years of Pastor Mike trying to get me involved, trying to get me to come, he finally got me go, to go to one of the, the men's retreats. Which is why I think like these men's, uh, men, men's meetings you have are so important because that's, it wasn't going to church on Sunday morning where I was finally touched, but it was a men's retreat, getting together with like-minded men that, that finally touched my heart. And, and finally, I'm like, you know what? I think I need to serve God. I, I had a radical conversion. I was, I was uh, uh, well and truly saved filled with the Holy Spirit, spoken other tongues, and I knew God had a plan and purpose for my life. So, long story short, turns out I'm going to be a pastor. And now I tell Michelle this. I'm like, God's calling me to do this. Let's get ready. You know, you find that you're getting what you want. And she's like, wait a minute. This isn't what I wanted. I asked God for a Christian man. I thought he did me right by sending me you, but now you're a pastor. I didn't ask God for a pastor. I, you know, because she wasn't looking for the increased 
responsibility that that came along with it but see that's the thing is in our head we we ask god for things and we think that we have it figured out we know what we want and god answers our prayers but not how we expect it in some ways although it's it's not in a negative light it's like have you ever seen the 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 stories where people will ask a genie for a wish and they get the, the wish answered, but it's totally something different, and it's usually to the detriment of those asking. Except for with, with Christians, when we ask God to, to touch us, to bless us, to do these things, He answers them, and oftentimes in ways that we don't expect. But when we look back, we're like, man, you're way smarter than I am, God. Which you would think that after a few times of that, we would just give up trying to tell God how things should run, but we don't. We, we do. I mean, I even think about when, when I knew that God had a plan for my life. And I had it figured out, you know, I'm like, you know what, God wants me to do something. And I went and talked to my pastor and said, Pastor Mike, I really think God is impressing on me that I need to serve him. I want to do something for him. And he said, you're going to be a preacher. And I went, I'm going to go back outside and I'm going to come back in and I'm going to tell you again, pick something else. Because my plan of serving God was, was something completely different than God's plan for me serving him. And God is always moving in ways like this. He's always moving in ways that we don't expect. And this is actually why I personally believe that many people say that God works in mysterious ways. Has anybody ever heard that God works in mysterious ways? It drives me bonkers because God doesn't really move in mysterious ways. God has made his will for us perfectly clear in his word. You know, people are wondering, does God make me sick so I can learn a lesson? No, God doesn't do that. Matter of fact, every time in the scripture, when you look at Jesus, who is perfect theology, Jesus said, I only the Father doing. How many times do you guys remember reading in the New Testament when Jesus made somebody sick so they would learn a lesson? Not once. Matter of fact, every time somebody came to Jesus sick, Jesus took care of them. Jesus healed them. Not because they were doing all the right things. Not because many of these people were, were, were heathen. I mean, the, the, uh, the, the lepers that came to him, they were unclean. There were all these things. And matter of fact, most of them just took off because they, they, they weren't even concerned with what Jesus did. They didn't come back to say thank you. We don't even know if they actually went to the, to the uh, I think they went to the, to the priest to make sure they were clean, but they didn't even come back to say thank you. They really weren't invested in God, but God still took care of them. And we see that over and over. God's will is not a mystery. It's very clear who he is, his will for our life, what he wants for us if you look at Jesus. He wants us to be free. He wants us to be righteous. He wants us to be whole. And his son died so that we could be forgiven, that we could be victorious. God's will is not a mystery. But sometimes he does stuff in ways that just seem mysterious to us because they don't make a whole lot of sense. Oftentimes, God's will is performed and enacted in our lives in ways that we would have never imagined it to happen that way. And the reason I bring this up, because the story of salvation, Jesus coming to the world, is exactly like that. It is nothing like we would have expected. It's nothing about how we would have done it. And there's the proof to this is, is that if you look at every other religion in the world, you know, many people get very upset because Christians think that, thinks that their, their way is the only way. We think that Jesus is the only path to salvation. We think that Christianity is right and every other religion is wrong. And that's true. That's what we believe. And, and uh, you know, people get upset at that. But if, if that's what we believe and what our word says, you're okay with us believing what the Bible says, then that's what we believe. We don't hate you because you don't believe what we believe, but 
We want you to believe what we believe because we care about you and we believe this is the only way. But every other religion in the world is about you getting right with God. They're actually all the same. They have minor differences, but the ultimate thing is, is you perform, you live your life in a certain way, you do these certain things, and you will be right with God, and God's going to, to take care of you. But if you don't do these certain things, if you don't live your life in a certain way, you don't do all of this stuff. Which I think it's funny, Christians get tore down because we believe that our way is the only way, but that's really every religion in the world believes that their way is the only way. So I don't know why there's, there's, uh, we get all the heat for that when all of them believe that. But the difference is, is every other religion is about you going to God. Christianity is about God coming to you. We're not performing to become right with God because we can't. The reality is there's nothing that we can do. But God came to us. He sent his son to make us right with him. And I find that that's the key difference in every religion is, is they're about going to God. Christianity is about God coming to us. And the reason why I find that telling is because Every other religion was made by man. And you notice they all have one thing in common, a little egotistical, a little, a little, little hubris thinking that we can somehow make everything right. But God did things in a completely different way. He didn't ask us to perform. He said, you know what? You guys are out of luck. You guys can't do it. I'm going to go ahead and take care of it. I mean, that's why Jesus was born in the first place. And even in the Messiah, there was confusion. The Jews were expecting something completely different. They, they had the book. They had the plan. They had the, the prophecies, and they still got it wrong. They were expecting a political savior, a, 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 a combative leader that was going to come and free them from the oppression of the Roman Empire. They expected a, a, a political figurehead. They expected a, a human king. And that's not what they got. And because their, their expectations was different with how God actually wanted to do things, it actually caused them a lot of problems. And to this day, it's still causing many of them problems because they refuse to believe that Jesus is their Savior. I'm so glad that more and more Jewish people are coming to know the Lord each and every single day. And I, I pray and that they would all come to know the Lord. But unfortunately, because of, of their expectations not being met the way, by God the way they, they wanted it to happen, it's caused a stumbling block in their path. And the truth is, we put stumbling blocks in our paths every day all the time because we, we put God in a box on how we want Him to work. And this is what we want God to do. And we, we package Him up nice and neatly. And God's like, but I want to move outside of here. And no, God, get back in the box. And we wonder why we don't see miracles. We wonder why we don't see the supernatural happen in our lives. It's because we don't give God the room to do it because we have an expectation of what God wants. It's because how we would do things is so different than how God does. And today I want to look at the Christmas story and see that that's actually what happened, is God did things so differently than man would have done them. In Luke 1, 11 through 13, it says, And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. In many ways, this is actually where the Christmas story begins. Most of us see it's, 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 uh, I think that it's when the angel spoke to Mary, and we get the, the, the what's going to happen, she's going to have a baby. But this is actually where I believe the Christmas story begins. 
and old Zechariah here, he's, he's an old dude, and uh, he's serving God. The, the Bible says that him and his wife Elizabeth were righteous. It says that they served God with all their hearts. But the, the different thing is, is at this point in his life, he's, he's really old. Elizabeth is really old. And on top of that, she's barren. She's unable to have children. And in this time, actually, not having children is kind of a big deal. You know, now we have, we have people choosing not to have, have babies, not to have children, and, and, uh, and then we think it's a good thing. But back then, having, a ch- having children was a very important, important marker of who you are. It's, it's, if you didn't have children, you were looked down upon. The truth is, children were considered blessing. And we even see that a little bit later in, in Luke one twenty five. Uh, when, when, when Elizabeth actually is pregnant with child, she says, Thus the Lord has done for me in, my day, in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. People looked down on Elizabeth because she couldn't have any children. And I wonder, I imagine there was even people that, that automatically assumed that there was sin in their lives, that they weren't doing the right thing. They figured because you couldn't have children, that must mean something was wrong with them. However, we know in verse 6, verse 6 says that Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, they were, they were righteous. It actually says they were righteous before God and walked blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. It doesn't sound like the Bible describing somebody who is living a sinful life, causing themselves to be able to be unblessed. But the truth is, is that they were righteous. They served God, and they were looked down upon. And what's interesting to me in this story, and it's actually why I think it's the beginning of the Christmas story, is what the angel says to him. He says, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. How many of you guys wonder what he was praying about? That, that's what many people, when you read this, you think that he, would be, he was praying, asking for a baby. But I don't think he was praying for a baby. I think... Personally, one, Zechariah is in the temple. He's offering incense to God. This is his, his, he's a priest. This was his responsibility. They were praying for the nation of, of Israel. And what would happen is the, the people would look at the temple. When the incense began to burn out, they'd all begin to pray for the nation of Israel. So this is what Zechariah is doing. He's not praying for himself. I, I don't believe he was praying for himself. I believe he was praying for Israel. Because he's a righteous man, he followed the commandments of God. This was his reality. He's in the, in the temple burning incense and praying for him. At this point, he is praying for Israel. And the angel says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. His wife getting pregnant was not his prayer for himself. His wife getting pregnant was the beginning of the Christmas story. The prayer being answered was Savior for his people, and it started with his wife having a baby. And why was that important? Because we know John, John the Baptist, he came and he ushered in Jesus. He ushered in Jesus. Now, I can guarantee you that this isn't what Zechariah was expecting when he was praying for his people to be saved. You want to know how I know this? Because this is what Zechariah says. He begins to question the angel. And he says, wait a minute, how will I know this? Basically, how will I know this is true? As if Elizabeth being pregnant is not enough evidence to what the angel just said is true. And the angel says, you know what? Because you've questioned God, you're not going to be able to speak again. And many people are like, man, that's pretty harsh. That seems like 
you know, like if I question God, somehow punishment's going to come upon my life. But I actually believe that wasn't when it was a blessing. Because from, from, the, from the moment he got word, he began to try to talk himself out of it. He began to say, how can this be? That's impossible. My wife is old. I'm old. There's a well-passed child. He began to try to talk himself out of it. Actually, I think God punctuates the importance of what's about to happen, how important it was for John the Baptist to usher in the Savior by just shutting him up. You know what? Stop talking about it. See, the reality is, is, is sometimes that's what happens with us. We need to shut up and listen to God. Quit trying to talk ourselves out of what God wants to do in our lives because we, we do. We have this little box of where God is allowed to operate. And we see it all the time. You see it particularly uh, in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. People get weirded out because people are praying in tongues because their God fits in this box. And the supernatural is way outside of here. People have a hard time believing that, that somebody could be risen from the dead. I've had people say, you know, when I'm praying for people for healing uh, from cancer or something, they're like, they'll tell me, well, I'm just a realist. Well, the reality is, is that God's bigger than the cancer that you're dealing with. Quit putting God in your little box, your expectation, and let God be God. Sometimes you just got to shut up and let God be God. Even my tablet agrees with me. Let me uh, turn that off. Hallelujah. That was a message from God. He says, I agree. <laughs> In Luke 1, 26 through 33, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what kind of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to, give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. How would you expect a king to arrive? We even see it today. When the president shows up, we've had the president show up here in Tucson. What happens? They have high-level officials there to meet him. The security ramped up. He comes in on the nicest jet. They roll out the red carpet. They make everything nice, everything perfect, because we're, we're, we're meeting somebody, regardless of what you feel about the man in the office, the office of the pre-respected. And we do. We, we, that's how man does things. We, we want to, to, to make a big deal about it. Because when kings arrive, they're received into palaces and mansions, and they have all the greatest things of life presented to them. They're greeted by the, the, the high-level people of society, the wisest, the most educated, the most important, the most experienced. They're there to greet them. But when God sent a king into this world, it wasn't like that at all. It's not how we would have done it. God was, was sent into this world. He was sent to Mary was likely a teenager at this time and this is because the women were married in their teenage years so if she's not married yet she's likely a teenager she's a young woman never been a mom before so she doesn't know how to raise a kid and any of you have had had a kid for, it's funny I, I watch women that have children for the first time and they try to they read all the books they try to do everything right by the by the third kid that's all out the window you just let them eat dirty it'll be fine 
You know, because you get some experience, but Mary doesn't have any experience. And then we have the, the idea of a virgin birth, which denies all common sense as far as we're concerned. It doesn't make sense. You know, we, it, it, it can't be recreated. It can't be, it doesn't, it just, because it's a miracle. God works in the supernatural. And then imagine it from Mary's perspective as well, because I imagine she's a, as a, as, as a good Jewish woman, she loves God. She wants to serve him. And she may have been asking, God, how can I serve you? Let me be the best wife I can be. Let me serve you how I, I, I can. And God says, I got something for you. How would you like to carry the Son of God? And you're thinking, I don't know, that seems pretty awesome. Because she's been uh, honored even to this day. I mean, she's, she's the, the, the mother of Jesus. So she's honored, but imagine what she's thinking in her life right then. You know, most people are honored well after they die, but while they're living, they're going through some pretty rough times. So God says, all right, you want to be used by God? Maybe she was asking, maybe she wasn't. Doesn't really say. But I wonder if when God said, this is what I need you to do, once she got over the excitement of God using her, started to think about what that looks like. If she began to want, wait a minute, God, that's not what I meant when I said I would serve. This is not how I would expect to do things. Because the truth is, she's going to go through some, some very rough times. She's going to be ridiculed by the people around her because she's pregnant and they're not married yet. So they know that she's living, as far as they're concerned, she's living in sin. People are pointing finger. She's got a raise a child, which any mother can tell you is not easy. And she's got to do all this for God. But the greatest example that I think that we can take from Mary is what she says just a little while later. God says, the impossible is going to happen with you. The impossible is going to happen with you. You're going to become pregnant miraculously as a virgin with God's baby. And after probably a few moments of struggling with it, she finally says, what? May it be done according to your word. She believed it because God said it was so, that it was so, regardless of what she was going to have to face in life. This probably was never even a, a thought in how she could serve God. It was not what she expected. And then in Matthew 1, 18 through 23, it says, Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with a child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for, which is, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Not only is Mary having to deal with something that I guarantee she didn't expect, now Joseph. You see, Joseph met this young girl. I don't know if it was arranged. I don't know if they, they liked each other. I don't know how, how it all went down, but I know he's getting ready to be married to this young girl. And uh, he finds out she's pregnant. And he's like, well, I know one thing for sure. It wasn't me. He didn't need a DNA test for this one. He's like, I know how this works. 
it wasn't me. And he's getting ready to just put her away silently, which I find very interesting because it was well within his rights to have her killed, to have her stoned, because from the outside looking in, it is obvious that she had committed adultery, that she had that she had had sex with another man and she became pregnant. And at this point, it, this doesn't look good for Mary. And it doesn't feel good for Joseph. And he's like, you know what? I'm done with this. I expected a young wife who was going to be mine, who was going to live properly. This is what I expected. And it didn't turn out. And he's getting ready to, to put her away. He's still a righteous man. He's like, you know what? I'm not going to have her stoned. I'm just going to put her away quietly. And an angel shows up and says, hey, don't worry about it, man. This is God. And now, this is definitely not what Joseph expected. He didn't expect to have to live his, his life with the... I mean, can you imagine the pressure of being the father of God? Like, I'm afraid I'm going to mess up my son, and he's just a regular dude. Could you imagine the pressure of worrying about screwing up the son of God? Especially with no experience, no no anything, and then on top of that... People are going to be like, why are you staying with me? I mean, they, they, they figured out how it works. They were snickering. I mean, because the angel told, told Joseph, hey, it's going to be fine. It's, 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 God, it's God's child. You don't have to worry about it. She didn't cheat on you. She is a godly woman. Matter of fact, this is the woman you want. She's kind of awesome. She's carrying the Son of God. But you know who the angel didn't tell all that stuff? Everybody else. So they lived their whole lives probably in shame as far as what the other people thought about them. They didn't have to be uh, feeling shameful, but they were always looked down upon. Their life could not have been easy. I imagine that they were ostracized and cast out from the community because they were living in a way that they shouldn't be living in, at least as far as everybody else was concerned. You know, the truth is, is that sometimes in serving God, you're going to have to endure very much. You're going to experience pain. You're going to experience um, weariness, you're going to experience some hard times. And it's not because God doesn't love you, and it's not because uh, uh, God is punishing you. It's because that sometimes serving God is hard. Serving God is a sacrifice. And this isn't the only time that we read that when people are, the truth is, is that the, the, the farther people get into serving God, the, the more that they serve Him, the more impact that they have in the kingdom of heaven, in many ways, the more they have to endure. We have uh, Joseph was enslaved when he was a, a, a young boy by his own brothers. They dropped him in a pit, sold him off to slavery. I guess that's better than killing him, but he was a slave, all because God said that you were going to be ruling over your brothers and your father. Now, you might have had it work out a little bit better if you would have just shut up. Right? Remember, he said sometimes you just need to shut up. But he told all his brothers and dad about it and mom about it. And now they're all ticked off. And the brothers are so mad, they throw him in a pit. And uh, Reuben decides, you know, we can't kill him. So they sell him into slavery. And then finally, things like things are going good for him, right? He's, slavery is bad, but he's, he's working up his way into Potiphar's house. He's, he's looking good. Everything's going good. And then Potiphar's wife tells a lie about him. Joseph was upright. He was righteous. He would not sleep with her. He did the right thing. And because of that, he was imprisoned. And then he tells, he uh, interprets a couple dreams, right? And the baker dies. And the, what was the other one? The cupbearer. Yeah, baker dies, cupbearer. Says, nope, you're going to be restored. And I says, just, 
tell the tell tell the uh the what are they man i'm blanking on what is the name of the egyptian pharaoh Jeez, louise oh see i didn't expect to lose all my words this morning but uh, <laughs> um yeah he tells the pharaoh um hey tell the pharaoh about me and of course the cupbearer goes ahead well no he actually didn't tell anything about him and joseph spends many more years in prison until finally god the turning point happens in his life. The cupbearer finally remembers years later, brings him to the Pharaoh. He interprets some dreams, and he gets moved up to where God was to said where God God said he would be. I bet you that wasn't how Joseph expected to get there. Actually, I know that's not how he expected to get there because he was bragging to his brothers. And he endured greatly for what God had for him. And not the only one. David was, was anointed king and then was hunted by Saul. For years and years and years. Saul tried to kill him at every turn, even though he was the rightful king. Gideon fought wars with super limited amounts of soldiers. God's like, you can do this. Take a pot with you. Make some noise. And he won wars. God doesn't do things the way we expect so very often. But he always does things in a way where he alone gets the glory and his will is enacted the way he wants it to be. Amen. Luke 2, 4-7 says, Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town to Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in a swaddling, swaddling cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them at the inn. And then there's this, and this is one that still, to me, doesn't make any sense. Obviously, it worked out. We have 2020. We know how the story worked out. But I think if I was going to send someone to save, them, save the world, I wouldn't send them in the most fragile, needy uh, body. Come. I mean, think about it. Babies are reliant on people for everything. This is the Son of God, and he has to be fed. He has to have his diaper changed. He, has to have, he comes as a baby because he set aside deity. He came as a child can't take care of himself he can't he's reliant on 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 mary and joseph and for me i don't know it seems to me like sending the savior as an infant's not the brightest plan on the planet it's not how i would have expected to do it i don't think it's how any of us would have done it the funny thing is is that it's been said that many babies have grown up to become kings but this was the only king who became a baby doesn't make any sense But say we decided that, okay, this is how we're going to do it. God's got it figured out. I don't think we would send him to a manger. Now, scholars argue about how this actually worked. All I do know is that there wasn't good medical care. I do know that, that it was probably cold. They're not standing in the normal house. They're, they're fighting the elements. There's, there's some issues with how things are going on. If I was going to send a baby, the most weak and helpless thing really on the planet, I would at least make sure it's coming into a warm, clean place. I mean, today, that's, that's the way it's thought about you. Uh, even today, if, if, a, if a woman wants to go to a birthing center and have a child with like a, a midwife, Many other women will look down on them like they're doing something dangerous to the child because they're not sending him to a hospital where all the correct care can be taken. And we have God sending his infant son into a manger. It doesn't make sense to me. It's not how we would expect things to happen. 
And then next in Luke 2, 8 through 14, we see in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is, with whom he is pleased. All right. Why did God send the angels to tell the shepherds? This just seems bizarre to me. I mean, think about it. The greatest thing that is ever going to happen to the earth, to the world, is happening right now. And God's like, we got to tell somebody about this. Let's tell the shepherds. That doesn't make any sense to me. I think if I was bringing a Savior into the world, I mean, it would be on CNN, NBC, Fox. It'd be on all the stations. We'd be telling everybody, hey, good news is coming. We got to see. He tells a group of shepherds. That's who it gets heralded to. Doesn't make any sense to me. Because God doesn't work and think the way that I think. And I'm thankful that he doesn't because this plan of salvation wouldn't be near as effective if I hadn't made it up. Matter of fact, like I said, we see all the other religions about how man has decided how salvation should work. It doesn't really work. We wouldn't have just told a couple of the neighbor kids. I was actually thinking about this. It's not, this isn't even my notes. I was thinking about it this morning as I was reading over them. Why did he just tell the shepherd? Why, why didn't he tell the religious leaders of the time? Why didn't he tell, and I don't know if this is the answer or not, but what I began to feel was is that because this salvation was for them. This salvation wasn't just for the religious leaders. It just wasn't for the powerful. It was for the regular guys working out in the field. The salvation is for all of us. There's no nothing that gets in the way. It's available to each and every one of us. When he's talking about here on earth, peace amongst those with whom he is well pleased. How do you become one of those he is pleased? You just receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor or it doesn't matter if you are just a person that attends church. It doesn't matter if you're the one that helps clean the bathrooms or teach Sunday school. It doesn't matter that if you work in, in uh, politics or if you just work as a garbage collector. It's for you. It's for everybody. It's not, there's no requirement. There's no upper echelon this is available to. And like I said, I don't know if that's, that's why he told the shepherds, but that's what I just really was thinking about this morning is that because that's who the salvation, who this was important for. The truth is the religious people thought they already had it figured out. But the shepherds were looking for relief. They were looking for Then in Matthew 2, 1 through 6, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and having come to worship. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they them in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Jesus was the king of the Jews. And we've already talked about why this seems so weird how God sent them, because that's not how we would have done it. This is 
unexpectedly. Definitely not how we would expect. It's just, every time I think about the story, like it's one of those things, like how did this even work out at all except for God, right? God was in it, so God's able to do things that, that we can't even picture or put together. But we do know this, that Jesus was the king of the Jews. This is undoubtedly who Jesus was. However, he was not the king that Herod expected. You see, Herod expected a king too, actually much like the Jewish um, uh, leaders at the time, the religious leaders at the time, they were expecting a conquering king, a political superpower of freedom, and Herod was afraid because he heard the king of the Jews was coming. Herod expected him to be a rival, but that's not actually who Jesus grew up In retrospect, it's kind of easy to see the brilliance of this plan because had he was grown up to be a conquering king, a political rival, then he would have been the enemy of whoever was in power, and in this case it was the Romans. And they would have haunted him religious, or relentlessly. He wouldn't be able to have any public ministry because they would be attempting to kill him at every step and every turn. Matter of fact, after Herod tried to kill everybody, after Herod tried to kill everybody and, and failed, or tried to kill Jesus and failed, there really was no political opposition to Jesus. Even on the day of his death, Pilate, who every time I read, I want to say Pilate, but Pilate, <laughs> Pilate wanted nothing to do with it. He tried to wash his hands of the whole thing. He wasn't a political threat. He wasn't a conquering king. See, if it was our plan, we would have sent the conquering king, not as a baby, as a full-grown man. He would have been handsome and tall, probably looked a lot like me. And he would have went and he would have, he would have conquered the leadership at the time. He would have made waves and he would have freed them. But God wasn't looking for a temporary plan. God wasn't looking to free people for a time. He was looking to free people for all time. He wasn't looking to release them from the bondage of Roman oppression. He was looking to release them from the bondage of sin and death. He wasn't looking for a temporary temporal. He was looking for an eternal fix. And that's how Jesus came. His son was, was not a temporary stopgap, but a permanent fix for all time. And that's why it wasn't how they expected. Because they were expecting something, something temporary, and God had much more permanent plans in mind. Romans 10, 8-13 says, But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. You see, finally we see that even the plan of salvation doesn't make any sense as far as we're concerned. If it was our plan, if you've seen us made plans time and time again, it's about how we can perform, how we can do all the right things. Matter of fact, even in the Christian world, there are many uh, denominations that, are, are, that still slip back into that, to the legalism and, and talking about how you have to perform. And if you miss church on a Sunday morning, then you're no longer saved. And how many are like, amen, that's not true. You see, the reality is, is that the plan of salvation is completely different when we design it. But when God designed it, it's something that's amazing. He just says, you don't have to perform. You don't have to, you don't have to be perfect before you come to me. You don't have to do everything right. 
The only requirement is that you confess with your mouth, Lord, and you believe with your heart. Because with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. If you ever wonder why when we do an altar call, we ask people to, to raise their hand so we can pray with them, it's because salvation is a secret. There is a confession that has to be made. But it's, it's a free gift. It doesn't require anything. And it doesn't make sense from our perspective. And I think that's why people fight it so often. It's because it doesn't make sense. They say, surely it can't be this easy. Surely it can't be free. I must have to pay for it. It's not the way that we would have done it, but it was the only way that it could be done. Because the reality is that God is a just God. He is a perfect God. The scripture says that Darkness can have no communion with light, and, and that's an easy one to understand because if you into a dark room and you turn on a flashlight, the, the light flees, the dark flees the light. Darkness never overcomes light. Light always overcomes darkness in every way that we see it used everywhere. But the reality is, is that for that to happen, there can be no mixing. That means that for us to be in God's presence, we have to be perfect. And if we were left to our own devices, one, your first mistake ruins everything because you're not purpose of sin is death. It's not a, there's not a sliding scale. You hit a certain amount of, of sin points, then you hit death. First sin, the wages, is death. So how does God overcome that if we can't perform our way out of it? I love the plan of salvation because God was able to free us to make us whole without compromising who he was. He didn't have to stop being God so that we could be made righteous. He didn't have to turn a blind eye to our sins. Instead, he took care of our sin. He paid the price for us. Now, it's not the way that we would have done it, and it's not the way that we would have expected, but I'm so thankful that God does things in ways that we don't expect. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah.